We recently got asked a question inside of the Product Boss Mastermind in one of our hot seat calls that the question was, I would like to brainstorm ideas about the best ways to capitalize on Father's Day as it's coming up and I want to get in front of it. I feel like last year did not go as well as I had hoped, but I'm not really sure why. And now as we supported this masterminder in that question inside of the mastermind, I wonder to ask all of you, do you ever have questions like this? So if you are making 250,000 to multi-million dollars a year, I'd love for you to consider the product boss mastermind because at this stage in your product business, you are looking for high level strategy support and a group of people who get it and encourage you to go after those goals you've only dreamed of. Now the product boss mastermind is where industry leading multi six and seven figure product bosses scale connect and thrive inside an exclusive community for multi six and seven figure product bosses. So if you're interested in getting an application in head to the product boss mastermind.com. Welcome to the product boss podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my creative co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sutep. We are so excited for this episode. This is, how do I say this? I have been a major fan of this woman and the company that she has built. I just think that she is one of the most incredible people out there helping other small businesses grow their business. She is an investor. She has an incredible company that has brought thousands and thousands of women together. Um, She's also a product boss, just an incredible person. So I'm so excited to bring on Jacqueline Johnson. Jacqueline is an entrepreneur who started both her companies with a laptop and an idea and grew them from self-funded side hustle projects into a multi-million dollar business and a nationally known recognized brands. She has launched and sold two companies before the age of 35 and her latest company create and cultivate recognized a gap in conversations, resources, events, and community for female millennial entrepreneurs and small business owners. And now create and cultivate is a cult favorite brand. I know you all know this brand and they sell inside of target. She's a top business podcast and more. Now I'm so excited that Jacqueline is on the podcast because she is going to come talk about growing her business, what you all need as you're growing and finding that community, how she has sold create cultivate a portion of create cultivate. And she is also an investor and invest in, in female founded businesses. And as you know, Mina and I have recently become investors as well into a fully funded female company, which is light pink. So anyways, without further ado, I am just so excited on the seat of my pants for this interview for all of you to listen. Um, welcome Jacqueline to the show. Let's jump in. Jacqueline, welcome to the podcast. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. I think this is the first Jacqueline we've had on. So now I get to see my own. Yeah. Different spelling, same sounding. I love meeting a fellow Jacqueline. I know. I know. Do you ever go by Jackie or always Jacqueline? 
I like did a full rebrand to Jacqueline. I was Jackie for many years. And like, there's people who know me as Jackie. And then uh-huh. basically there's a weather girl named Jackie Johnson out of Los Angeles. Who's like very famous and like has her own thing. And so when I moved to LA, I was like, I got to change it. Like uh, I love that. my SEO. <laughs> it's very Hollywood to rebrand yourself. And yeah. Jacqueline sometimes goes by just Jack, you know, from just Jack, you know, just oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My friends are always like, you're not a Jackie, you're Jack or Jacqueline. So it's like, cool, we'll do this. We'll just move forward. But Anyways, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you. You are just like the multi-hyphenate of all things and such an inspiration to so many women around the world, including us. Um, We were just telling you before the call that we were at one of the last, actually it was the last business thing that we went to was your small business summit with Create and Cultivate in New York City, um, which was incredible. So thank you for having us. Oh my God, of course. (laughs) Of course. I reminisce fondly on those those events pre-2020. I know, I know, but it was amazing. So um, thank you for being here. So for our listeners that you know are not familiar with Create Cultivate or you, um, would you mind just giving a quick intro? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm Jacqueline Johnson. So I'm a two-time entrepreneur. My first business was an events marketing and influencer agency, which was acquired by Small Girls PR. My second company, a more well-known brand is Create and Cultivate. And we are a media company for ambitious women. Um, So we service women in the career space through events, podcasts, media, books, product, et cetera. That's amazing. So when you were, I mean, it seems like you, like Jacqueline had mentioned, you are the multi-hyphenate, uh, hyphenate. you've done a lot of things and you've done it in such a creative and just a different way um, than I've ever seen it before. Even when we were at the event, I thought this is so cool. There's so many things that I never would have thought of that she really, you know, hit the nail on the head. So when you were growing up, did you have any entrepreneurial influences or anything that really, you know, fueled your creativity in that way? Yeah. So I definitely had entrepreneurial influences. My parents are small business owners, um, not in like a very sexy or creative field at all. They like work in the auto side of things like wholesale auto, whatever. But from like a very young age, I was like stuffing envelopes in my mom's office and like helping her balance her checkbook and like doing things like that. So I was always around women working and being in the workplace in general and like being part of that narrative. Um, I was always the super ambitious little kid. Like I had two jobs in high school, which was like, why? Um, and they were, I was at working at Banana Republic. Um, and then I was also working at a gym and just hustling and saving money and, um, you know, would buy coats from Banana Republic. I lived in Florida. My mom's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to live in New York city one day. Like I was just like this psycho little kid that was like <laughs> very hardworking and kind of had that in my blood. But I just, always knew and wanted to live in a city. And, you know, obviously having watched any movie from the eighties or nineties, I was like, I'm going to be a magazine editor. Cause that was like the only job that women had. So I just really was like wanting to, you know, be part of that narrative, but I was scrapbooking like inspiration from magazines from a young age. I would make these like insane collages. I was just very like into design and aesthetic and, and kind of trends in general, um, which now sounds like duh, but like at the time there was no, barely any internet. Um, you know, these were like the olden days of like kind of getting excited and, and getting creative. Totally. The olden days, we, we always say like back in our day when we used to send mailers <laughs> yeah, and I was totally. like, and I had to tell people to get a holding page for their website. I'm like, you just need to get this thing up and get your URL, you know? And they're like, what is this whole website thing? <laughs> We're not that old either. So, um, yeah. So, okay. So you came here and that's funny. My first job in fashion was in Miami and I came from LA and I went to banana Republic to buy coats and I was going to be like the fashionista, but I walk into South Florida and they're like flip flops and jeans and tank tops. And I was just like, 
okay, well, there was my fashion dream like out the window. So flip. All right. So for Create Cultivate, so how did you, so you did your first business at such a young age and sold it, which for me, I'm just want to know, like, how did you even know how to sell your business? So actually let's start there. How did you know at such a young age to build a business and then sell it to someone? So I didn't for a long time, but basically, <laughs> so I bootstrapped my first company. It was a marketing and events agency, as I mentioned. Um, and that is what I really kind of describe as like, my masterclass in running a business. Cause it was where I made all my mistakes. I did things totally wrong. It was like a total like work in progress. Cause I previously was always the creative, like the ideas person, you know, in the mix in terms of marketing, not the, like I'm on QuickBooks invoicing, like, you know, what's our P and L like, I was never that person. So I essentially had to like YouTube my education and being a business person. So that was the first company. And really what happened with that company was it grew to about three to 4 million in revenue. I had, I kept the team very lean. It was like maybe like five people at its biggest and it kept growing and growing and growing. And it was kind of this beast and it was getting bigger and all these different things, which was amazing. As part of that agency, I was like, we should do our own events. And this was kind of at a time where agencies were like kind of becoming brands and like people knew them and they were like creating their own products. And like, I was like, let's do our own event um, called Crate and Cultivate. We'll partner with the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. And it wasn't even like a women's specific event. I was like, it'll be like creatives, freelancers, like entrepreneurs can come together and we'll have speakers and do workshops and dinners and things like that. And I think it was like 26 people was like the first one and it was really successful and people loved it. And we're like, what's the next one? And I was like, I don't know. It definitely doesn't make money. It's kind of this fun, like, you know, lead gen activity I'm doing for the agency. I'm getting to mix and mingle with influencers I know. And like, that's great for the business. And so I ran it like that for about two to three years where it was just kind of like a thing. And it really just got more and more momentum, selling more and more tickets, getting bigger and bigger names. To the point where I was like, what is this thing? Like, is this a business? Is this, you know, what is this? And then basically at that point, I was approached by a PR agency out of New York interested in acquisition. And so the way that sort of happened was it was, it was very different than like, how Crate and Cultivate was acquired, which is like further down the line in a far more intense process. This was essentially a PR agency who was like, we love what you're doing. You've been in our space forever. You know, like we're friends. We've sent each other business over the years and we're in a position where we need to expand to the West Coast. And we love you. We don't want to compete with you. We kind of have, we have the same ethos and same vibe and all these things. Like, what's your deal? Like, would you want to come on and like be a partner? Would you want it? Like, where are you at? And I was like, well, it's interesting timing because I kind of have this other thing going on and like, I don't know, but I do feel like the, you know, the agency's thriving and it would definitely benefit from the things that they had, which was like, they were a 50 person company. They had a full HR team, insane benefits, a full, you know, culture they had built out around their business that we just didn't have. We were scrappy and small and bootstrapping. So I was like, there is that excitement um, of how to kind of level up the business instantly. So basically, as those conversations were happening, I was approached by my future business partner in Creighton Cultivate, who was like, what's this thing you're doing? It's really cool. And I feel like we could do something big together. Let's like do a joint venture and put some money into it and see what happens. So I was like, great, let's do that. This conversation is happening. And the thing about acquisition and anything like of that nature is it takes forever, like truly takes forever. So this conversation is happening over here. This conversation is happening over here. I end up doing the joint venture for CNC. The acquisition conversations like stall out, restart, stall out, restart. And then basically by the time you were like, okay, we're pulling the trigger. We're going to acquire your business. I was like, well, I kind of started this other company and they were like, oh, okay. But like, what's your dream scenario? And I was like, well, I want to work on both. 
but it'd be awesome if you could help take on the responsibilities of the agency. So we went through the acquisition process, which was insane. Like due diligence is no joke. Um, You know, it's like every receipt you've ever spent, every dollar, every single thing in a spreadsheet, organized, vetted financials, all these things. Lucky, I mean, it was a smaller company, so it was slightly easier. Um, Ended up selling that business and running both companies for a little over a year, which was a true nightmare. (laughs) I was driving (laughs) back and forth between different offices, like had different teams. It was insanity. Um, And then eventually made the decision to go full-time at Create and Cultivate. Amazing. Amazing. Such confidence though, I think, because was that in your early twenties? Yeah. Yeah. So I started the first company when I was like 22, I think, and then Mm -hmm. sold it when I was 28. Okay. Yeah. Cause we both started our, we both also became entrepreneurs in like 26, which, you know, is a whole thing, but I think that confidence around money and understanding it. Cause and I, a lot of times, yeah, in our community, we have a majority of women and money tends to be that thing. And, and we'll get into this, but we're first time investors in a company. And we were like, Whoa, we've never, nobody has ever talked to us about this before. Had no idea how to become an investor or an accredited investor, but like backing up even to just money and understanding it and feeling confident in those decisions, um, especially being acquired. Did you, was that something that you're, I know you said that you did, you know, checks for your mom. So was it something that your parents were openly talking about with you? Like, where did you find your money confidence? Yeah, definitely my mom. My mom is like the financial brains behind like my parents' business. She, I always joke, she's like my unofficial co-founder. She was like, basically, she's like, I think she's still on like Create and Cultivate's QuickBooks. Like she's like, you know, she's like <laughs> been part of it like forever with me. Cause I was like, this is not my vibe. Like I'm not, but what I got really good at and what I think, um, you know, was really what made Create and Cultivate successful was this was pre-women raising millions and millions of dollars. This is pre- you know, billion dollar valuations. This was really a time where I was like, I just need to make more money than I spend. And like, that was my laser focus. Like every week, every month, like how much is in, how much is out, how much is in, how much is out. And I was so upset. Like I had such a cash brain about the business, which I didn't realize a lot of people do not have. Like Mm -hmm. it's interesting because it's like the moment we had a month where we like broke even, I was like, this is it. We're done. Like, and and my mom's like, no, people break even for years. I'm like, what? So (laughs) I just was an overachiever on the financial side of it. But when it came to things like valuations and run rates and OPEX and all these things, it was definitely an education for me. I don't, you know, pretend that that was something that came natural to me or I knew, uh, but I definitely like, taught myself along the way about all those different things to make sure that the business was operating and that having gone through the first acquisition and gone through that due diligence, like truthfully on my own, when Creighton Cultivate started from day one, I was like, we need to have our together. And like, it needs to be super buttoned up as if we're going to sell the company tomorrow, every single day, because you don't want to have to backtrack on that because it is a nightmare. Um, so I learned a lot, like, and again, I always say it was a masterclass in like business because I got, to, I had to do all the things myself and learn all the things, which was painful and had a lot of mistakes, but paid off for my mm-hmm. second company. Hey, product boss. Okay. This is for you. The other day we got a message from Lolly asking us if we had a referral for a great inventory management software to help track raw goods and on-hand products that were ready to sell. And you know what we told Lolly? We sure do. Not only do we have a resource for inventory management software, but we have over 308 other business tools and resources that will help you effectively run your product-based business. Now, this ranges from packaging and printing supplies, affiliate management, website and email software, 
legal resources, video and photo tools, and so much more. You will have everything you need to grow your dream product business today and at no cost to you. Yep, this is totally free and you can download the Product Boss Ultimate Resource Guide right now by heading to theproductboss.com slash resource guide. Again, that's theproductboss.com slash resource guide. Now back to the show. And I really feel that with Create and Cultivate, and if you could get more into, you know, where your story goes from here, um, it really is, you were just simply ahead of your time, right? Even Create and Cultivate was something that is experiential. And that is something you see even now that consumers are demanding, even with just purchasing a physical good, right? And so can you get into kind of how you came about that, that particular ethos for um, Create and Cultivate? Yeah, for sure. So basically I, um, I was a blogger in like 2007, 2008, like early dot blogspot days. And my blog got a lot of traction. And I would say I was like an early influencer. I was signed to an agency. Um, I was like one of the first people signed to the first influencer agencies. And so I was in the influencer space early days. And because of that, I got to go to a lot of really cool events, really beautiful dinners, really amazing things like that. Right which is just like the influencer space in general. And what happened was my sister, who's two years older than me, lives in Florida. You know, I'd post pictures from these events and she's like, oh my God, like I would kill to go to an event like that. Like that flower wall was insane. And like, oh my God, it's like so beautiful. And I kind of had this like ding, ding, ding moment as I was starting Create and Cultivate where I was like, oh, like this right now is an influencer culture thing but it could be just a consumer thing. We can throw events that look and feel beautiful and are Instagrammable and fun and amazing. Like you can get your nails done and your hair done. And you can also learn about how to run a company, how to raise money, how to be, how to increase your wealth. Like those things are not just, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Those things are not separate, right? Like for a modern woman, like we get our nails done. We also do our taxes. Like we all, we do all the things, right? And like, that's what it means to be a modern ambitious woman. And why can't we have an event that reflects that mentality? And so being able to create that for women where it's like, you get an insane gift bag with like all this swag and like, you get to see your favorite celebrity speak. And then you get to do all these things. Like that's an experience that could be accessible to many people. Just no one has done that yet. So it was really flipping the conference model on its head and giving it that lens of like, treating consumers and everyday women like influencers. Truly. I mean, I and I, I'm just going to go to our experience at the New York um, Small Business Summit. The the bathrooms were sponsored by Cora. Even the bathrooms were I well was done. taking photos in the <laughs> bathroom and, and I subscribed. So talk about product placement. But like, you know, it was the bathrooms and we were so impressed because everywhere we looked, like on the pillars, there were Instagrammable moments. And taking the floors. Through the floor. It was just, if you ever, if our listeners ever, you know, make it to a great cultivate event, which I hope that you do, it's, it's something to understand. And I think you've always said that it's experiential before you were the media company and all that. And so thank you for sharing that kind of origin story for us. Okay. So another big part of create and cultivate that you did for women is networking and bringing women together. Because, you know, like you said, there wasn't that space for women that work. You have a book work party, um, just sort of how, whether you're going to work for other people or you're going to be an entrepreneur. So Um, What advice can you offer our listeners when they often feel alone as entrepreneurs and they want to connect and network with other women? Yeah. I mean, networking is huge. I think like, you know, that quote, your network is your net worth is so accurate. And I think it was something that I didn't really realize till like post-college where I was like, I got to get good grades in college. Like I got to like, you know, work, get a good internship. And I realized like, 
the most important relationships of my career were the people I met in college, like the interns I interned with and the things I did people, you know, it's like, oh, right. Like I didn't even think about that. And like, I don't think anyone really teaches that is like the business of people. Right. And so for me, you know, I always say be a pleasure to work with. Cause like the people that you're working with today might be running the companies tomorrow. And like, that is so important. And I think as an entrepreneur, especially when I started businesses, like things like Create and Cultivate did not exist. There was no small business summit. There was no going to a thing. It was like, there was one LinkedIn group where everyone's like, Hey, like, and it was just like, it, it wasn't a thing. So I'm so excited for this next generation of female founders because they have access to things that we could have only dreamed of. So for me with networking, I think the reality of the situation is it's part of your job. That's how you have to think about it. It's not like supposed to be this fun social thing. It is part of your job to know who's doing what, where, when, be in the mix, have those conversations. It's like how you get new ideas and new inspiration and new business, you know? So for me, I would say, put yourself in those positions. I love Create and Cultivate because we have so many girls that go by themselves and it's so amazing. And by the end of the day, they have a friend and they're hanging out and they have their group. And I think that's so incredible because it should be that way. It shouldn't be a, oh, this is an insular community and everyone already has their friends and I can't make any friends. And I'm just kind of like walking around by myself. Like there's something so magnetic about the CNC community that I couldn't ever manufacture. It had to come about on its own. And I think it was just the right time, right place for women who were like, I'm desperate for a community. I'm desperate for information. And I need someone to give it to me packaged in a way that looks and feels like how I live my life. And I think we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you've done it in a really great way. You, you described Crick and Cultivate as a media company. Could you kind of give us the broad layout. It's kind of a spider web, right? Well, where it's like, it's the events, but it's your podcast and it's all these different things. How is, what is create cult, uh, create and cultivate at a whole? Yeah. So I like to say it's a modern media company because I feel like media companies have, you know, obviously changed fundamentally. I mean, they change every day. It feels like. So for us, like our core business is our events. So we do our, our conferences and summits that are create and cultivate owned and operated events. We do them in different cities at different times with different themes throughout the year. We also do completely bespoke events for clients. So we work with different sponsors and we do events ranging from influencer dinners, store openings, consumer facing events, like you name it, we can do it. Um, we also have our media side of the business. So we have our website, our social media, our newsletters, all of which all of which reach around a million women monthly, where we're cranking out content for ambitious women. Um, we also have our podcast, which has over, I think it's now 2 million downloads, you know, where we interview women, which is based on the book work party, which I wrote. We have products. So we have licensing deals. We have a vegan leather goods line. We have an office supplies line at Target. So we have a lot of differentiated revenue streams. Thank God, because when 2020 hit, <laughs> if we had just had events, like who would have known what would have happened? Um, so we were able to really differentiate um, our revenue streams, probably like 2018, 2019. Um, and it served us really well. I remember we saw the notebooks and we're like, whoa, yeah, these the are in targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the planners. Um, so actually I want to dig into that because during the pandemic, because you did pivot, right? You had to bring your events online. I think I also registered for the one that felt was like campy. It felt yeah, camp summer camp. Yes, yes, I did mm-hmm. that one. Um, and then but during the pandemic, Create Cultivate had to pivot, right? From live events to online. And then I was so impressed with the advances you all made when it came to retail and those pandemic-proof pop-up shops. So would you mind telling our audience, especially people who weren't in LA that couldn't, you know, didn't see these pop-ups, sort of what you did and how that all came about and how it did actually? 
Yeah, for sure. So we basically, we had been working on this vegan leather goods line, you know, years before it was ever announced or launched. And we had this massive marketing campaign that was going to be like at all of our events. We're doing all these things, like with the product line, it was going to be this whole big thing. We had signed a lease on a pop-up space in Los Angeles at Platform, which is like a very cool kind of area with like really fun brands, like kind of bespoke, cool, um, you know, brands that you would like to shop at. And we were so excited about it. We're like, we're just pop-up shop. It's going to be amazing. And then obviously the pandemic hit. And honestly, like that was the least of our worries. We were like unpacking all these events that we'd already planned. It was like a total nightmare. And like, basically our COO at the time was like, we have this pop-up space. Like, do, what do we do? And I was like, oh, I think we should just like try and get out of it. Or like, maybe we push it. Cause it was like kind of that time period where we're like, we don't know what's happening. And then basically we had this, you know, obviously business slowed way down and it gave us that opportunity kind of have this moment of like, what can we do that's cool and innovative? And that's like outside of the box. We have this space, you know, luckily the the partners we had that we were leasing from were like, do whatever you want to do. Like we're here to support, like we're dying, you're dying. Like, let's do something cool. And so we had this concept of like, okay, what are people doing the most right now? And a lot of what people were doing was delivery, right? Like everyone was post mating and all these things. Cause like, you can't go to the restaurants, everything's on demand, et cetera. So we had this space and we were like, let's create a pop-up space that's pandemic friendly, meaning there was no actual store. It was all a storefront that had the products in the windows with QR codes where you could buy directly. Um, and then we had a little window with like a customer service person who was like, you could buy it, scan it under QR code, go to the front. She would go in the back, get your product all like pandemic shield through a window type deal. Super cool. And then we also launched a pop-up on Postmates where we were able to have people order items um, and buy the items from us. We also took the opportunity knowing that small businesses were like absolutely decimated that we selected um, women of color owned small businesses from like across the country to send us one product that was timely in terms of wellness. Cause that was the time. So we had hand sanitizer. Um, you know, we had really cool, um, eye masks for sleeping. Like we had masks for, you know, basically everything that was like pandemic, you know, kind of in the mix and sold those as well. So it gave this opportunity to these women to also sell their product to an LA audience that they might not necessarily get in front of. Um, it differentiated our product. So it wasn't just us. And it really went viral. Like it was picked up in a ton of press. It did really, really well for us. It was very exciting. Um, and we just honestly never expected it. We were like, this might work. It might not work, but we got to do something and get our creative juices flowing. It was so good. The windows are beautiful. Of course, it was like create and cultivate mm-hmm. windows. And then, you know, I've, we, we help product these people. So it was really this time when we picked up last year, whatever year it was. I have no idea what year it is. 2020, <laughs> whatever that year was. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were like, delivery and, you know, can you do porch pickup and drop off? And obviously you did this on this bigger scale, but it was that idea of being able to pivot really quickly, which even though your business is really big, have been able to pivot really quickly. And, um, we now talk about how there is this hybrid mentality, right? Like you can buy Sephora on Instacart now, right? You can get your lip gloss delivered. So there's this really cool thing. And any of our, all of our product bosses that are listening, just think about the ways you can be innovative and creative and continue this hybrid experience. Cause I'm sure for you too, do you feel like you're going to keep doing events that are virtual and in person? Are you keeping that hybrid world? You have to, because what happened was, and what's interesting is like our first digital event, we had over 10,000 people tune in. And what was shocking to us is only 50% were in the United States. Mm -hmm. People from London and Australia and Africa, like we were like, what is happening? Like people are like, I'm in the (laughs) Philippines, it's 3 a.m. We're like, what? So it opened up this whole new world of like, oh my God, like we actually have a massive audience 
that wants this content. And for advertisers, they're like, oh, great. Like love the events, love that a thousand people go. But if 10,000 people can view this, like we want that too. So now we're creating these like hybrid opportunities. So it's getting that extended reach. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think events in person and then the idea of even all of our you know product bosses out there thinking about how do you continue that hybrid? Because it makes it easier for the customer, right? Yeah. It mm -hmm. just makes it easier and they're, and they're expecting easy. It sure Absolutely. does. Yeah. And honestly, it's like, you have to compete sadly with like Amazon who has mm -hmm. next day delivery and everyone's used to that. Like that's their expectation. And if you're a small business, being able to offer local delivery for your audience is a game changer because it gives them that Amazon mentality and you can give them that like on-demand feeling, um, which is not great for the environment, like a bigger picture, but at the same time is what consumers are demanding. Right. Yeah. We had to do a similar thing. And what we found was at the end of 2020, it was, you know, all the businesses, like you said, were decimated, but we had to, but the small business was also the hero, but this hard part was getting those small businesses to really realize they were the hero that they needed to kind of pivot as much as they could. And we started a pledge and a directory and kind of had to like push them along and get them, you know, into there. And so I think that that has been an amazing thing that we've seen that you do too, is that you really, not only do you give them a path in, you know, education and everything, but you also work on them with encouragement and, you know, um, mindset and working on it. It's okay to be ambitious and it's okay to, you know, go for, for what you want. Uh, one of the things that I really saw was you've invested in a lot of businesses. Um, like Jacqueline said, we invested for our first time in a beverage company and it's all female founded, but it was, it felt really strange, I guess, because it's the, it kind of started clicking for me for generational wealth. We're also, you know, I, um, Jacqueline and I are both first generation American and then our, my family is refugees, but it was, I don't know. I still am not sure if I stepped into it quite yet either, but I'm curious, you know, which, um, if you're willing to share what, um, businesses have you stepped into, um, as far as investing, what makes you want to invest and, um, what do you look for when you're investing in businesses? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the reality, that's amazing. Did you invest in light pink? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, I love Lori. Lori's amazing. She's yeah. so awesome. And, and and honestly, it's funny because people talk about that investment all the time. They're like, this girl did this thing and it's all females. And I'm like, yeah, Lori, she's the boss. So yeah. that's amazing. And, and I think what she's done is incredible. And, and giving women that opportunity is, is awesome because the reality is, is like, I, I started angel investing when no one was talking about angel investing, I invested in away luggage, um, in 2013. Um, Amazing. and basically I, I've known Jen Rubio for years, like in, in the mix before she ever started away. And basically we were like getting a smoothie. I like remember it at her <laughs> bar in LA. And she's like, I think I'm going to start this like direct to consumer luggage company. And she's like, I think we're going to start like taking some friends and family checks. And I was like, not like a rich person at this time. And I was like, Oh, like how much, you know, and, and I, Jen's a boss. And I was like, you're amazing. And I was like, what kind of checks are you taking? She was like, you know, like 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. And I was like, I'll write you a check. And I remember going back and being like, mom, I'm writing a check for $10,000. And she's like, what are you doing? You don't have $10,000. And I was like, I know I just like committed and like, but I think it's going to be big. And like, I don't know. And it's like, of course it ended up being a unicorn business. And my mom's like, why didn't you invest $20,000? Like, you basically talked me out of it. Um, but yeah. And, and I mean, obviously that's, that is a one in a billion 
thing. Uh Angel investing is inherently super risky. Um, But for me, I angel invest. My number one thing is the founder. Like that's what I invest in is like, who is this person? Do I believe in them? Are they going to take this to the next level and build this business? And then the second thing I invest in is like, what is an exit strategy? And I think that's okay. Like, I think it's fine to talk to founders and be like, how am I going to make money off this in the long run? And I think it's important for founders. I think there's this like, mentality of, I don't want to be like, oh, I want to sell this business because I want them to know I'm like involved and like I have this long-term vision and like I'm here, but I think it's okay to talk about wanting to exit your company. Like, I think people like to wait until they are successful to do that, but I'm like, you should be planning that from the beginning of your business. And so really working with founders on like, what is your exit strategy? And if they're like, oh, I don't really have one. I just want to run a cool company. Like that's probably not a great investment from, unless you like love the person and believe in the product and like wanted to like live in the world. But from a financial perspective and a return perspective, that's probably not the best investment. Um, so for me, I'm invested in um, a bunch of different companies. I'm invested in Crown Affair, which is run by Diana Cohen. I'm invested in Live Tinted, uh, which is run by Deepika Mutyala. I'm invested in Ceremonia um, from Baba. Um, she's amazing. I'm invested in Lesso, which is a um, sort of a competitor to Uggs. Um, and that one is actually a male-centric brand. Um, but the reason why I'm invested in them is because they wanted, they needed and wanted women on their cap table. And I think it's really important to be in those rooms. It's a Rob Deerdeck backed company. And obviously being in his ether and like what he's doing is really important. Um, I'm an advisor to a few companies. I advise One Kind, which is a clean beauty brand. I advise the Southern Influence, which is a startup agency that does video content and photography. Who else am I invested in? I feel like it's a lot. Um, Heirloom, which is a, actually, this is a really cool company. It's it's designed to disrupt the trademark industry. So obviously, if you're going to get a trademark for your business, you have to hire a lawyer. It's like thousands of dollars. It's like they have to do all these searches. They basically have created an AI software that scrubs the United, United States um, trademark. And I think they have Canada as well. Um, finds any potential conflicts that you might have, vets them for you, and then creates your trademarks for, I think it's 499 for the first one. Um, and then they have it overlooked by a um, entire team of trademark lawyers. So it's trying to get that basically commercialized and, and kind of disrupt that trademark industry. Genius. I'm mm-hmm. an investor. I know. So awesome. Genius. I'm, an, <laughs> I'm an investor in DM, which is basically the first social network started by a woman that focuses on women and non-binary folks. It's going to eventually be a metaverse, which the whole thing is <laughs> like, I don't even understand. I'm like, what is happening? I it's insane. Um, but I'm like, yes, you go do that. Um, and what's the other one? Oh, I'm an investor in Renati, which is a B2B SaaS software that focuses on getting the antiques business online. So a lot of different investments. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. I love that you started with the, the fear of this is $10,000. I didn't have it, but you know, I'm kind of putting my money backing this person that I really believe in, in the product. And then now look at you, you know, and that's how, what's the time span on that? Um, well, I would say I started okay, oh, 2013, so like, you said, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. 2013, And then I didn't do a lot for a while. Uh-huh. And I would say probably from 2019 to 20 to now is, is my portfolio has grown that much. Do you, I mean, obviously, like you said, you're an influencer and, and you know, have a large following. Do you go looking for them? Do they come to you? How does that work? I would say most have come to me. Most people I'm well-connected to. Like, so for instance, like I would say like the crown affairs, the lifted, I like know those girls extremely well. And that's how that happened. Some of these other ones like heirloom or Renati, 
I have an email chain of angels, female angels that we all email each other deal flow. Um, Hey, here's this company. Here's the thing. Here's the checks we're looking for. Is anyone interested? Um, And a few of those, like actually Renati came through Rebecca Minkoff, um, who I work with and love and we're friends. And she's like, Hey, this is kind of a cool investment. Are you interested? She put in money. I put in money. And that's kind of how we piggyback on that. Um, same thing with, um, heirloom, um, a friend of mine, Risa Lake, who's at DEA, um, was like, this is kind of interesting. Do you want to get involved? So that's kind of how it happens. And that's really important because that is how it works for men. And what was interesting mm-hmm. is like, when I made that first away investment, I told one of my good guy friends who's in the startup space and he's like, oh, I had no idea you invested. Like I can start looping you into stuff. And he started looping me into like insane deals, like Thrive and Uber. And like, obviously the check sizes were like way too big for me, but I was like, oh yeah, this is how everyone gets involved in these deals. And like, it's really important to keep that conversation going. And like, now it's like, I talk to a lot of women who are interested in angel investing. And I think it's all about deal flow and deal flow is all about your network. So it's really Mm -hmm. just about being like, hi, I angel invest. And like, putting that on your LinkedIn, putting it in your Instagram profile. And people will naturally start pitching you. Like I get pitched on LinkedIn because I have invest, I have my investments on there at least four to five times a day. And like, honestly, mostly from guys. So I'm like, ladies slide into my LinkedIn DM. Like <laughs> that is how we're doing it. So it's like, you uh-huh. just have to be a bold and ambitious in that way. I love it. I mean, it's true. And, and that's it for Lori. You know, she brought us in and she's, she said she kicked the door down and like held it open for all of us. And, and that's, I think the thing that kicks it off. And I remember she, Mina talked to her husband. I talked to my brother and they were like, yeah, you know, they knew all about it. Like it was the second, this language that they were already mm-hmm. taught and we were trying to figure it out. So it's really exciting. And, and, you know, if anyone out there is listening, Jacqueline said, slide into her DMs on LinkedIn. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's so important that as women, that we continue to reach down and pull each other up. We hold the door open for each other. We bring each other into it because it's true. There's And we change the narrative too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, so what are some things, um, I know Jacqueline and I, my Jacqueline, <laughs> my Jacqueline quote, quote. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we were talking about create and cultivate and how much it's changed. And it seems like a year that it's just tried a bunch of different things that worked really, really well. So what are some things that you're looking forward to that now that you've gone through that, that you're going to lean into more? What are you looking forward for in the future? But also yeah. it's been acquired recently. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we were acquired in March by private equity, um, which basically means they bought out a large stake of the business. Um, I still retain a large portion of the equity, obviously still day-to-day normal um, type things. But one of the things that we're really interested in leaning into, and to your point, Mina, like we've tried a lot of things and everything has worked, which is a really good thing. But at the end of the day, like the focus on the business, um, you know, for us, having now gone through 2020 was the majority of our revenue came from sponsorship, right? Which during 2020 was like a little bit of a bumpy road, right? And you want your revenue to come from multiple places in case of a 2020, obviously just in general, it's good to have a a strong revenue mix. One thing that we're looking to lean into more is uh, membership and really like refining what our membership looks like. And we've been deep in building that out. And we just relaunched our website. We're building out the back end of what a membership could look like. Cause the membership that we initially launched with in 2019 was around events, right? Like it was like front of line access, early access to tickets, back end information. You get to view all the, the event panels. And it was very like event driven. And what happened in 2020, which was really fascinating was the narrative shifted from, I would say from 2016 to 2019, it was all 
valuations, victory, women at the top, like everyone's doing it. It's amazing. Like positivity, positivity, positivity. And 2020 was like, oh, like financials, 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 money, money, money. And like, it really changed what people were looking to engage with from a content perspective. So it wasn't just about reading about women who had done it. It was more about like, how do I do it? And I need to do it now. And that completely changed our content strategy. And we realized like, we need to start putting together more tangible courses and information that speaks to that need. So we've been working on building that out um, and relaunching that to a more um, refined program that really targets women where they are. So for us, we kind of see women in different stages. One of the most common stages is I'm launching a business. And that's such a specific point in time of your career journey, because you have to be deep in trademarks. You have to have your launch strategy. You got to get your website going. You got to make sure all these things are happening. And like, that's one person that we are looking to tap into and provide them those resources. The second person is I have a small business. How do I grow it? And like, that's a different set of courses and information that that person needs. And then the other person is kind of like, I have a very successful business. How do I exit it? So it's like all these different, like essentially life stages of your business. We want to be there for you and be that resource for you. So good. So needed. Amazing. Um, okay. And then we have a question and this is, so what do you, what would you say your superpowers are? Oh my God. I think my superpower is making decisions quickly. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's really important as a CEO is being able to say like, Hey, we are, um, you know, we're doing this or that we're doing this or that. And like, I think people were like, well, let me think on it. It's like, you have to move fast. And I think momentum has really been our, superpower when it comes to create and cultivate. We don't have investors and now we do, but like, we didn't have investors. We didn't have a board of directors. It was like literally me being like, yes, go, yes, go, yes, go. Let's do it. Forget it. Like, let's go. And being able to move quickly and make those decisions quickly, I think has benefited the business. Amazing. I love that. You know, um, just fun fact, we had Susie Weiss-Fishman. Um, she created OPI Nail Polish. She, that was the same exact answer that she gave. So oh you God, guys are Susie. two peas in a pod. I love it. <laughs> but I think it's very true. And I think it's something that amongst the most successful women I've met, they have that characteristic in common. Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken the Colby test? No. What's that? Okay. So it tells you how you work in certain situations. So there's fact finder, like how much you need to know about facts. If you're a quick start, um, your follow through. And then there's a fourth one that implementer, you never know, like what, like, do you need Uh to know how something works in order to understand it? So I'm just wondering, because both Mina and I are very high on that quick start level. And so it's the same thing. Like we feel like we've grown because we just took action and we moved. And so many people are afraid to fail, right? They're always afraid they're going to fail. And so they just don't take action versus just move forward. Or they overthink it to death. Like I know so many people like that, like incredible idea, amazing. And they're just like, well, the site's not right. And like, I don't know. I kind of want to wait till I have a little bit more time. I'm like, no, just go, 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 go. Like that's truly like the secret power is starting by starting. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all have heard it here from a woman who has sold two companies, who's an investor in so many incredible businesses um, that you just need to go, just do it, act, you know, just take action. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for being on with us today. It was just so incredible to have you here. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This was so much fun. And let our audience know where they can follow you, share you, buy from you, all the things. What would all you like to? All of the things. <laughs> yeah. So we're at createcultivate.com, at createcultivate on Instagram, at work party on Instagram and Apple podcasts, Spotify, all the places to listen to podcasts. And I am at Jacqueline R. Johnson, J-A-C-L-Y-N-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N on Instagram. How do I spell my last name? We will put that all in the show notes. Nobody worry. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Class Podcast. 
If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive, and we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us. This episode is brought to you by the Shop One in Five Pledge and Small Business Shopping Directory. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. So head to shoponeinfive.com to take the pledge. And friend, while you are there, check out and shop from hundreds of small businesses in the Small Business Shopping Directory. It's the go-to directory to discover, support, and shop small businesses all in one place. Head to shop1in5.com.